Every week of this series, we have focused on a nameless person in the Bible. But today, the nameless person we're talking about could be you. In the beginning of the series, I told you that one of the reasons I think God left out the names of some of these people in these stories in Scripture was to invite you to insert your name into the story. It was like an invitation into the adventure. Well, today, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you into the story. I'm going to invite you into the adventure. And I'm going to do that by asking you two questions. This entire message will center around these two questions. The first question will set up the answer to the question, the second question, and how you answer these two questions today will determine the kind of life you live, the kind of stories you'll tell, the people you'll impact, and the eternal difference your life is going to make. Here's question number one. Is the Christian life a life of reasonable risk or reckless abandon? And let me explain what I mean by reasonable risk. We live in a culture where being a Christian really doesn't cost you anything. Now, it's going to be a little more difficult in the days ahead to be a follower of Jesus here in this country, but compared to most places in the world, being a Christian in this country is not all that costly. We've made Christianity just another brand of Americana, just another slice or compartment of the American life, like baseball and apple pie or the 4th of July. We've politicized it and institutionalized it and dumbed it down to nothing more than a value added to our normal life. Jesus is just an add-on or an accessory to our regular way of living. For most people in our culture, giving their life to Jesus is not some massive wholesale change in their way of living. They just add Jesus and maybe a little church into the mix of their regular life. We've made considering the Christian faith an equal decision to starting a diet or going to the gym or picking up a new hobby. It's like some kind of self-help solution that we decide to do If we think it will make our lives better, because in the end, a lot of people really aren't after Jesus in the first place. They're after life hacks and quick fixes that will make their life better, comfortable, more convenient. And if you listen to a lot of preachers today, that's really all Jesus is, a faith-based quick fix to a better life. That's reasonable risk Christianity. It says, sure, I'll follow Jesus if... If it's reasonable, if it's convenient, if it feels good, if it makes my life better, if I don't have to give up anything or change anything and it doesn't cost me anything. But the minute becoming a follower of Jesus means inconvenience, it's unpopular, difficult, costly, or requires any level of self-denial, I'm out. Now, most Americans who claim to be Christian would probably never say that out loud. They would probably never admit that. But that's the way far too many Christians in this country live their lives. Jesus is just a value added. And when following him isn't offered immediate gratification or there doesn't appear to be an immediate return on investment, they compromise their convictions, push their faith to the back burner, or worse, they just walk away altogether. No backbone, no conviction. It's situational ethics where people make up their mind about what they're going to believe as they go based on whatever situation they find themselves in. There's no guiding compass or lordship that governs their life. That's reasonable risk Christianity. 
Managing risk, minimizing risk, maximizing comfort, bailing on, and compromising faith when the going gets tough or self-denial is required. Is that the kind of life Jesus died for? Is that, is that the kind of life that Jesus went to the cross for? So let me ask you again. Is the Christian life a life of reasonable risk or reckless abandon? To see a surrendered life of reckless abandon, you'd have to look long and hard to find an example in today's culture. But when you read the Bible, that's all you see. Because that's what was expected by Jesus in the early church. Being a Jesus follower meant living a life of reckless abandon. That was just understood. When you gave your life to Jesus, it wasn't about managing risk. It was wholesale surrender and reckless abandon. Here's how Jesus said it in Mark 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. That doesn't sound to me like an invitation to live a life of managed risk. It sounds to me like an invitation to come and die. To die to your current way of living, to die to yourself, to lose yourself in the gospel, to lose yourself in Christ, and in the process, gain everything that your heart has ever desired. It's the life you were created to live. A life of reckless abandon and total surrender to the lordship of your creator. A life where Jesus pervasively changes who you are. Not just a piece of you, not just the Sunday you, not just the Christmas and Easter you, but He becomes Lord of all of you. Here's what it looked like in the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts 20 verse 22, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Do you hear Paul in verse 24 say, I consider my life worth nothing to me? In other words, Paul says the gospel is a higher priority than the preservation of my own life. Paul was not a coward with his faith. He was reckless for the advance of the gospel. When Paul says the mission of Jesus is a higher priority than my own life, he's not just blowing smoke. Read the book of Acts. Read his letters and you will see a life of reckless abandon. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. 
I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, all because of saying yes to Jesus. I get the idea that following Christ and being a carrier of the gospel was expected to be a dangerous proposition. And that's an incomplete biography in Paul's life. Those hardships became such a common experience that he just quit talking about it. So when he says in Acts 20, I consider my life worth nothing, my aim is to finish the task, he means it literally. He didn't just go to save places. If so, none of the Roman Empire would have heard the gospel because none of it was safe. None of it was easy to reach. Danger was everywhere. Nowhere in the Roman Empire was reasonably risky. Everywhere he went required a life of reckless abandon. If you go back to the book of Acts and you follow Paul's itinerary in mission, this is just one short snippet of a season of his life. He was chased out of Antioch and Iconium. He was stoned in Lystra, stripped, flogged, and imprisoned at Philippi, chased by a mob of angry Jews in Thessalonica, physically abused and dragged into court at Corinth, survived another riot in Ephesus, was plotted against in Syria, and when he finally did get to Jerusalem, he was flogged and had to be smuggled out of the city. He was later shipwrecked at sea, swam ashore on the island of Malta, was caught in a hurricane force wind along the shore of Crete, finally made it to Rome where he had his head chopped off. And you say, but pastor, was it worth all that? I'll let Paul answer that question himself. In a dark Roman prison cell, right before his execution, some of the last words ever recorded by Paul were written to Timothy. And after all that hardship for Christ... And awaiting his impending death that was right around the corner, Paul says this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Paul is saying, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do the exact same thing. I would live a life of reckless abandon because it will be worth it all when I see Jesus and hear Him say, well done. Paul didn't live a life of reasonable, managed risk. He lived a life of total surrender and reckless abandon. You say, but pastor, it's not that way anymore. People don't suffer for their faith like that in the modern era. You're wrong. It's not that way here, which is one of the reasons we have such a lukewarm version of Christianity in this country. But Christians in the rest of the world know that being a follower of Jesus is hazardous to your health. A staggering 260 million Christians in the top 50 countries on the world watch list face high or extreme levels of persecution for their faith. Many are being tormented, raped, starved, and ridiculed on a daily basis simply because they put their trust in Jesus. 
thousands annually are martyred for their faith. When these people in these countries get baptized, they lose everything. They lose their families, they lose their jobs, they lose their security, and sometimes their lives. And yet they approach serving Jesus and the waters of baptism with an eternal joy that fear and intimidation cannot quench. And as they approach the waters of baptism, in their own language, they will often sing this old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Does that look like a life of reasonable risk or a life of reckless abandon? If you want to find a chapter in the Bible that is honoring to the reasonably risky, you're not going to find it. It's not there. But Scripture is full of honor given to the heroes of faith who lived with reckless abandon. Take Hebrews 11, for example. It is known as the roll call of the heroes of faith. It says this in verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samsa, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. And I want you to notice how different the same faith is expressed in the next group of peoples. It says, it go on, it says, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground, all because they said yes to Jesus. Through faith, some saw the power of God. And because of the same faith, some suffered and gave their lives as martyred. It is the sovereign king that is the one who decides who experiences what. It is our job to simply say yes to Jesus and surrender our lives to the divine storyteller and when we surrender to Him, He promises to make our lives make the greatest eternal impact possible. A life of reckless abandon prays this. Heavenly Father, I am your currency. Spend me as you please. Now some adults in the room are probably asking, Pastor, if your target today is students, junior high students, Senior high students, college students, isn't this a little stout for young people? No. That's the problem. They've been babied and coddled and given participation trophies for just showing up and passing grades when they failed which means they've been lied to in an attempt to protect what some people think is a fragile psyche. But when I interact with them, I get the sense they're sick of it. 
They're tired of being coddled. They're tired of being treated like they're soft. They're tired of the compromise. They're tired of the fake. They're ready for something that's real and genuine and authentic. And they're ready to be called out and called up. Which is why Jesus, authentic Christianity, and the real gospel is so attractive to this generation of students. They're ready for a challenge, but nobody else's message is challenging them. It's been toned down and softened and made politically correct. Listen, students. The real gospel, not the Americanized version, the real gospel and the real Jesus will call you out, call you up, and challenge you. And when you truly say yes to Him, there is no guarantee of a safe adventure. But I promise you the life He calls you to is the one you were created to live and the one that will leave you the most fulfilled at the end of your life. And this leads me to the second question. How you responded in your heart to the first will determine how you answer the second. This is the second question. Who's going to fill these shoes? These shoes belong to Allie Hooten. Four and a half years ago at the age of 16, Allie was killed in a tragic accident when a truck left the highway, veered off the highway into the grass and struck the UTV she was riding in. Her sister and the driver of the UTV were seriously injured, but they miraculously recovered after long stays in the hospital and a long rehabilitation. I met with Allie's parents last night and they graciously let me borrow her shoes. They want her story to inspire others, so much so they created a foundation called Allie's Legacy to keep Allie's compassion and conviction for Christ alive. I always knew Allie was mature beyond her years. I knew she lived a life of uncompromised surrender to Jesus as a teenager. I knew that. It was obvious. I knew she was consumed with a compassion for the nations of the world to hear the good news of Jesus' love. She regularly went on missions trips and was used mightily in other nations of the world. But it wasn't until her mom and dad invited me into her bedroom while I was preparing to minister at her life celebration that I realized the level of her conviction and compassion. I thumbed through her devotional journal, her Bible, and read the notes there, the notes that she had scattered around her room. And sitting on the edge of her bed, I realized that a 16-year-old girl knew Jesus in a way that few adults ever will. Allie Hooten had already realized at the age of 16 that the Christian life was not a life of managed risk. It was a life of reckless surrender, and she was living it. She was all in, sold out, no compromise. Today, Allie is in heaven, but if she were here, she would be 21, which begs the question, who's going to fill these shoes? What student, what teenager in this church will refuse to get swept away in the cultural current no matter how lonely, no matter how much ridicule it brings, which one of you is going to live a life of complete surrender and reckless abandon for Christ and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. 
No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Your generation is in desperate need of some spiritual leaders with a backbone. Some students who know what they believe and are committed to building their lives on that foundation. Allie's level of conviction for her beliefs and her compassion for people as a young person resonates with me. I can remember when I came to faith at the age of 16, I was a teenage drunk, saved out of a party and rebellious lifestyle. But when I met Jesus, he radically and pervasively changed my life. Jesus didn't become just some value added. I didn't add Jesus to my life like we add sugar to our tea. He became my Lord and revolutionized my life. I was on fire. Nothing else mattered. But I looked around at a lot of the students at the church I got saved in, and most of the adults for that matter, and I wondered, what's wrong with these people? They had been at this a lot longer than me. But they were whispering behind my back saying things like this, He'll mellow out. It's new. It'll wear off. We all started like that, but we came back to reality. No, what they had done was turn the Christian life into a life of reasonable risk instead of a life of reckless abandon. And when I saw that, as a 16 and 17 year old kid, my number one prayer then was this, Jesus, don't let me mellow out. I don't want this to wear off. Set my heart on fire and keep it that way. When I'm old and gray, let my passion for you be as reckless as it is today. If I was 16 again, I'd wear these shoes. But I'm not, and I can't. The best thing I can do to students is to call you out and call you up to what God is asking of you. Jesus looking for that nameless one, that nameless two, or that nameless ten who will give their lives in reckless abandon for Him and His purposes in the world. And adults, I say the same thing to you. I'm 47 now, and at times... I still look around me like I did when I was a teenager and had just come to faith. And I wonder, what's wrong with these people? They say they're Christians, but where's the fire? Where's the passion? Where's the commitment? Where's the conviction? This isn't a life of managed risk. The authentic Christian life is a life of total surrender and reckless abandon. In 2004... A missionary to Iraq, Karen Watson, was killed by unknown assailants. She was targeted because of her faith. Because she was aware of the danger she was in, she wrote a letter, put it in a sealed envelope, and on the outside of the envelope she wrote, open in case of death. When they found her letter after her death, this is what it said. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. 
The missionary heart cares more than some thinks is wise, risks more than some think is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, expects more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too in my church family. In His care, Salam, Karen. Karen Watson, Ali Hooten, the Apostle Paul, the heroes of Hebrews 11, they all understood that following Jesus is not a life of reasonable risk, but a life of reckless abandon. They got it. Do you? Karen Watson's statements describe what a life of reckless abandon looks like. They, people who live a life of reckless abandon for Christ, they care more than some think is wise, they risk more than some think is safe, they dream more than some think is practical, they expect more than some think is possible. They are called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. They know there is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. So students, what what does a life of reckless abandon look like for you over the next few weeks as you go back to football practice or drill team or cheer, prepare to walk onto the grounds of your schools again? What does a life of reckless abandon look like when you consider your long-term future? And adults, let me challenge you. You need to fill these shoes in your world. We don't need lawyers that carry the Christian labels. We need truly Christian lawyers that have been perversively, pervasively changed by Jesus. We don't need teachers who happen to be Christian. We need truly Christian teachers who bring their faith with them to the classroom. We don't need business people who consider Jesus a value added. We need truly Christian business people who will let their faith in Christ shape every decision they make. We don't need nurses who happen to be Christian. We need truly Christian nurses who treat patients differently because they know Christ. We don't need doctors who are born again on weekends. We need doctors who will express their Christian faith seven days a week. Is the Christian life a life of reasonable risk or reckless abandon? Who's going to fill these shoes? Two questions. And the way you answer will determine the kind of life you live, the stories you'll tell, the people you'll impact, and the eternal difference you'll make. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place, if you will. We're going to sing a song. Those of you in Garland, if you would stand, we're going to sing a song here in Saxe. You're going to sing it there in Garland. It's a song of surrender. God is not looking for your availability or your ability. He's simply looking for your availability. Would you take this moment and just consider what your response is? Is the Christian life a life of managed, reasonable risk or is it a life of reckless abandon? Who's going to fill these shoes? Consider your response today.